everybody. It is uh, great to be together this morning. Yeah, great to see you today. Hey, if you're a guest here with us today, I just want to say a special welcome to you. Uh, maybe you're visiting some family in town this weekend, and uh, it's great to have you here this morning. Hey, I want to say a special welcome as well to those that are watching online today. Thanks for tuning in. And then to the guys down in Mod 7, uh, we are for you guys. We're pulling for you at our Correctional Center campus, and uh, we welcome you here today. And then uh, to our Elkhorn campus, you know, our Elkhorn campus has been officially open one month, and so let's just welcome them here this morning as well. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, it's such a blessing to be able to go down to Elkhorn last weekend to attend our services in that campus, and just to see it not only thriving, but just to think about then just the impact that that campus is going to have in that part of our city and beyond is remarkable, and so super excited uh, for all of that. If you're newer to Brookside, um, you know, our mission, the reason why we exist, we, we sum it up in one statement uh, that's pretty simple to understand, and it simply says this, we exist, our, our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. Um, we want to do everything that we can as a church to lead people into a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And so that drives the things that we do as a church. And I just want to say to you this morning, as we continue to get to see that mission accomplished in the lives of people I just want to say thank you to you, church. Uh, thank you for being a huge part of all of that. Uh, today, what we're going to do is we're going to be in uh, part five of our five-part series called Be Remarkable. And in this series, what we're doing is we're looking at five values, the five things that if these five things defined your life at the end of your days, it wouldn't be said of you, yeah, you lived an average life, or yeah, you lived a pretty good life. It would be said of you, you lived a remarkable life, uh, a life worthy of a comment. That's what it means to be remarkable. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're opening up God's Word, and we're looking at five different values. And these values come straight out of God's Word, and they're very important to us as a church, so important that we call these our five core values. Uh, they're the five things that if you think of our mission statement up here, these five values, they drive our mission statement. They, they really symbolize the things that matter a whole lot, that really rise to the top for us as a church. And so if you're newer to Brookside, I'm really glad that you're here during this season. Because you're learning a lot about our church, and you're going to be able to really know, okay, what makes this church tick? Do I want to join this community of faith? What does that look like? And so I'm so glad that you're here for this series. Since these things are so important to us, before we tackle number five today, our final one, I want to do a quick review, and I want to take you through the first four of them. Again, they're so important to us. We want to keep these in front of us. So in week one, we talked about this, our value. We unpacked this one together. All people matter to God. And so at all of our campuses, would you say that one with me with some enthusiasm this morning? Here we go. All people matter to God. Yeah, we really believe that around here. That weekend, we looked at Luke chapter 10, and we saw powerfully in that passage that Jesus Christ, when he looks at people, all of them matter to him, every single one of them. And so that drives our actions as a church. It makes us think about things like kids in the foster care system, over 2,000 of them in our own city. And so we say, God, we want to care for those people. It makes us think about what are we doing in Zambia? Well, we're, we're, we're part of the Hope Center, and we're really helping these orphans come to know Christ and be fed and clothed and all of those kinds of things. Why? Because all people matter to God. Uh, Proverbs chapter 31, verse 8 says, speak up, church. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And so it motivates us. All people matter to God. It's why we want to do church planning in the Dominican Republic. It's why we do things like that. It's why we care deeply about our Correctional Center campus. We look at Mod 7 and we say, what a great start. 
We can't wait till we can adopt more mods in the Correctional Center campus because, again, all people matter to God. We also ask the question, though, individually. Corporately as a church, it leads us, right? But individually, we say, Lord, would you help me see people the way that you see them? And then how I see them, then through your eyes, what matters to God, would it, would it matter to me? And then would that drive me to action? So we want to continue to grow in that value as a church. In week two, then, we looked at this value. The way we say it around here is it's the value of biblical authority. Say that with me everywhere. Biblical authority. And what we mean by that is this. You got to do better on the next one. Okay, you're a little quiet on that one. Okay, but what we mean by that is this. When we see this, this Bible, what we consider uh, as an authority, we don't go, oh, we have to submit to God's word. We look at it and we go, it is the wise thing to do. That God was so good to us, he gave us the gift of his word. He didn't just say, hey, go figure life out alone. No, he spoke to us. And so we look at God's word as an absolute gift, and we say it around here like this. We run to it for truth, direction, and inspiration. Truth, direction, and inspiration. God's word provides those things. God chose to speak to us, not about just frivolous things, but he chose to speak to us, everybody. Don't miss this, about the things in life that matter the absolute most. And so we run to God's word. I was talking to a guy just before our first service today, and he said, my dad passed away one year ago. And he said, the greatest gift my dad ever gave me, and he said, I was in a trying time in my own life, and my dad said to me, if you'll just read one psalm a day, it'll change your life. And he said, before my dad died, I got to thank him. And he said, I, I said to my dad, dad, it changed my life. And so our goal as a church is not only will we do this for children all the way up to the adults in our biggest uh, gatherings. But individually, we also say, hey, we don't want to just teach this from up front. We really want you in God's word. It's why we do our Bible reading 365 plans, because our hope is that every single day you'll open this up and you'll hear from God, because God longs to speak to each one of us. Then in week three, we talked about the next generation. Are you ready? Here we go. Let's say this together. Here it is. The next, that was much better, great job, okay. The next generation, and we talked about how it is not only the nice thing to do, but everybody, it's incredibly strategic for us to invest in the lives of the next generation. You know, when you look at the, our students, when you look at the next generation, and we call the next generation the future of the church, if you were to start at four years old, and you were to go all the way up to 21 years old, and you were to survey adult followers of Jesus Christ, 75% of them would say they made that decision between the ages of four and 21. That's staggering. That's, that's something that we stand back and we go, wow, we need to pay attention to that. But even if you go a step further and you say from age four to age 14, of the 75%, 63% of them made that decision to follow Jesus Christ between four and 14. So again, we stand back, and particularly in this church, we go, Lord, you have given us so many students to steward. And so, God, we look at that and we say, God, what a privilege it is. And so around here, we say when we think of the next generation, we want to invest in two ways. One, we want to invest generously, but two, we want to invest joyfully. Psalm chapter 78 is where we were that weekend, and we said, it says this, we will not hide them from their descendants. Here it is. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. And so as a church, we say, we will not hide our faith from the next generation. We want this place to be the best hour that a student experiences in their entire week. 
And then we want to come alongside parents and help them thrive on the spiritual front. Week number four, we looked at this value. It's the value of leadership development everywhere. Say that with me. Leadership development. Good. And our goal around here is this. We want to train up and then we want to send out influencers that will influence the kingdom of God. We want to train up and then we want to send out what we call kingdom influencers, which really just means this. People that will live God-honoring lives and they will use their influence for the good of other people. And so Tim challenged us well that weekend. He challenged us to love and to serve and to lead with humility. He said the best leaders, not just average, but the best leaders, the ones that you look at and you go, that's a remarkable leader. An attribute that is true of that kind of a leader is humility. We saw that in John chapter 13. And he summarized it by saying this, true leadership expresses itself in humble service for the good of others. Everybody think about if a group like this led in that kind of a way. Everybody imagine if we led humbly at home, at work. Imagine if that's how we were known in the community, as the most humble group of passionate leaders. Imagine that, what God could do through that. Today what we're going to talk about is our last value, and I'm so excited to unpack it with you. It's what we call intentional relationships. And we're going to be in Colossians chapter 4 this morning, and what I'd really like to do, honestly, before we get to the text this morning, is just to pray together. And actually, I'm going to ask you, wherever you are, would you stand with me now, and let's pray together. And the reason I want to do this is I want us to approach this text, and I want us to do this every week, but I want us just to say, Lord, we did not come on accident, and God, we're really asking you to speak to us this morning. So pray with me now. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you, first and foremost, for Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you that our reason for gathering is crystal clear. It is to worship you and to make you known and to grow in you. And Father, this morning, that's our prayer. God, would you speak to us? Lord, we we are excited to hear from you. Lord, we long to know. We're going to cherish the words that you speak. And so, Lord, we invite you to speak to us. Father, I pray for the person that's come in here today, and they have had a hard, hard week. God, I pray that you would meet them right in this place. Lord, would you touch them this morning? And I pray for the person that's here celebrating, and they're just going, Lord, I want to just renew my purpose in you today. God, I pray that you would confirm the things in them that you long to confirm. And then all of us, Lord, this morning, we just say, maybe even put your palms up and just kind of as a way of saying you're receiving right now from God, you long to. Lord, we're saying now we receive from you. We invite you, God. Would you speak to us now? We love you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today's value, intentional relationships. The way that we say this value around here is very simply this. Love genuinely and share Christ boldly. And what we long for this value to do is to help us think through what do the relationships in our lives look like? What is the intention behind them? You know, when we get to, uh, there's a passage in the scriptures in Acts chapter 17 that helps us understand that every single relationship in your life, every single relationship in my life, every single one of them is not on accident. The neighbor you have is not on accident. Your coworker is not there on accident. Uh, The people that you interact even in your own home, not accidents. And, And Acts chapter 17 helps us understand 
that God in his sovereignty, when God looks at us, when he looks at all of human history, he goes, you know what, I have greater plans. They're not small plans, but I have grand plans. And I think it, sometimes we can kind of get a little uh, too myopic in, in our approach to life. And, and God's saying, no, no, I want you to think bigger. I have, I have greater plans. And I, I want you to think about this this morning. What if the people in your life were there by God's divine intention? What if that was true? In Acts chapter 17, we see this to be true. The Apostle Paul, he stands up in the city of Athens, and he's telling this group of people, many of whom are very curious. They want to know, who is God? You might actually be here today, and that's what you want to know. You're searching. You want to know, who is God? That that was the case in Acts chapter 17. But we also know this. Culturally, in that society, there was all sorts of idol worship. And so they were making these things out of, you know, carving different things and and worshiping the the things that their hands had made. And so the Apostle Paul comes in and he says, no, 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 God's not existing in that. He's much bigger than that. And so he says this. He says, rather, Acts 17, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out. So think about this, everybody. So God is in the know on this. So he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So so God knew in the past and he knows into the future where people will be. So God knows who your life is going to intersect with. God knows who's going to be your neighbor. God knows who's going to be the clerk at the store for you. God is, he's in the know on these things. It says, verse 27, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For many of you, you've had someone in your life, and when your path crossed theirs, you look back over that season, and you would say that changed your life. They had such an impact in your life that that relationship has become so significant. And you look at that season, and you go, wow, that person, I didn't know it at the time, but that relationship has so impacted me spiritually. I know for me personally, my own story, my life intersected a guy named Jake when I was a sophomore in college, and I was lost. I did not know God. I hadn't hadn't submitted my life to him, and Jake saw in me just a spark of spiritual interest, and he didn't treat me like some project and whatever else. He just cared about me, and he began to share Christ with me. And then he began to open this book with me and help me understand it and, and all these things. And, and I look back on that period of time in my life, and number one, I am incredibly thankful for it. But number two, I know this. It was no accident that I had a Jake. No accident at all. Everybody imagine this. Imagine if every relationship that you see in your life, you saw and you looked at it through the lens of this could be divine. Not accidental. The clerk, the person at the gym, your coworker, a family member, not accidental. Today, I want us to think about the people in our lives as God would have us do, as God sees them. You know, I had an image in my mind that just kept coming this week as I thought about this passage and, and this topic. And I want you to imagine this, try to imagine this for a second. Imagine that you're leaving town for a long period of time, maybe months, maybe even years. And now it's, it's likely that what you would do before you would leave is this. You would, you would take stock in the things that matter most to you. If you had any possessions, if you had any relationships in your life, you, you, would, you, would, you would go, okay, these things matter most 
to me. And so before I go, I need to make sure that these things are very, very well taken care of because when I come back, I want to find them in good shape, right? You would do that. Everybody know this. If you search this book from cover to cover and you ask the question, what is the most prized possession from the heart of our God, in the heart of our God? Again and again and again. The answer to that question is people. We see it over and over in the scriptures that when it comes to God's most prized possessions, it is, folks, it is you. It is myself. It is people. People matter dearly to the heart of God. Jesus illustrated this multiple times. He said things like this. He said uh, that people, they're worth searching for. He said they're so worth searching for that if someone strays from God, when they come back, they're actually worth celebrating the fact that they came back. People were worth so much to our God that he was willing to die for us. I mean, think about that, everybody. There is no greater way to show that you are for someone than for you to give your only life, particularly if you're God, for that person. People matter to God. His most prized possession. And so this morning, I want us to think about when our path crosses someone else, we're crossing, our paths are crossing some of God's most prized possessions, wonderfully created in the image of God. You know, there are times in the New Testament when Jesus kind of went angry on some folks. And and the reason why he did it, if you, you, you really look like what fired up Jesus, oftentimes it was this, it was people who claimed to have a right vertical relationship with God, but they were evil people horizontally, meaning they didn't value people. And that really bothered Jesus because it, it, he was saying, hey, you can't, you can't claim this is good if this is not, if you don't care this way. And so he said, no, 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 these two go together. If you love me, you will love people. You will see them the way that I see them. This passage that we're going to land in, and you can click or turn there now, Colossians chapter 4, uh, what we find in this passage is this, and I, I really hope that a week from now, a month from now, you'll look back on what we talk about this morning, and this, straight out of scripture, this phrase will be stuck in your mind, because I think it's so powerful, because all of us, think about all the interactions that you have with people in just one given week. The Apostle Paul, when he was thinking about the interactions that you and I have with other people, he made a very telling statement. He said this. He said, make the most of every opportunity. When he was thinking about, okay, what do I want? What, what should we do in response to what the gospel's done in us? He said, I want you to make the most of every single opportunity. Now, if somebody came up to you and they said, man, you made the most of that opportunity. That's a compliment, isn't it? I mean, they're saying, you didn't squander that. Way to go. You, you did your very best in that. The Apostle Paul says, when it comes to God's most prized possessions, make the most of every single opportunity. We're going to start in verse 2 of chapter 4. Let me give you some context for this, though, first. By this time, when we get to chapter 4, Paul's listeners had some things that were very fresh in their minds. Number one, they knew that the Apostle Paul had a lot of skin in the game. They knew that he was writing from prison. They knew that he had been imprisoned because he had been proclaiming that Jesus Christ, not only did he die, but he proved that he was God and he rose from the grave. And so they knew, okay, that's the the perspective that Paul writes from. When Paul starts this letter to them, he also, though, comes right out of the gate and he wants to help form in their minds exactly who Jesus Christ is. And so he paints this big picture of who Jesus is. 
He says that he is before all things. He's our creator. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus Christ. And then Paul gets to us. You keep going in the letter. And he says, at one time, you and I, all of us, we were alienated from God. He actually says we were enemies of Jesus Christ. But God in his grace reconciled us to himself. He drew us in. He gave us grace. And then something you see throughout this letter, and Paul is crystal clear on his mission, he's proclaiming Jesus Christ, and he's giving all of his energy and all of his passion to it because he knows he just might be able to help other people find the God that found him. And so he gives all that he has to it. Then you get to chapter 3 and chapter 4, and he gets very practical. And what the Apostle Paul is saying at this point is this, if the gospel has impacted you, so if you're a Christian, He's saying, if, if you're under this umbrella, if this is your identity, you are a chosen child of the living God, you are holy and dearly loved, if you've received God's grace, if your forever is forever secure and you're confident of that, the Apostle Paul says, then out of you, out of the overflow of who you are in Christ, he's saying, then this is how you should think about people. He's saying, if you've got relationships in your life, which we all do, he's saying, then you're going to think about those differently, not because you must. No, don't think that for a second this morning, but because you love God and because you're so grateful for what God has done, it's the overflow of who you are. You think differently about your relationships. So he says this in regard to those relationships. Verse 2, look at this with me. He says, devote yourselves in other words, be committed to this. The verb there means be courageously persistent. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, I just have to call a quick time out here, everybody. We cannot overlook the first part of this passage. The Apostle Paul, what he's doing is this. Is he saying, hey, only God can move the heart of people. We can't move the heart of people. But God can move the heart of people. And so God uh, commands us even to pray and to seek him and to ask him to move in the hearts of people. And so Paul's saying this, be courageously persistent in prayer. That's the foundation for God to do great things in the lives of people. And then notice that what he says next. He says, devote yourselves in prayer. And then he says, and being watchful. In other words, staying alert. Uh, to be watchful, it simply means this, and I think this is one of the most important phrases in this entire passage for us this morning. The Apostle Paul is likely saying two things. On one front, he's probably saying what he's already mentioned. I want you to be watchful, church, because you have an enemy that would love to distract you. You have an enemy that would love for your life to be about things that are not very significant. You have an enemy that would love for you to not care for people and not see them as God's greatest possession. So be watchful of that. Be cognizant. Be aware of that. But he's also saying this. Be watchful for God because if you devote yourself to prayer, if you're passionately committed to that, you're courageously persistent in prayer, I want you to be watchful because God just might open a door. And you might just, when you begin to see your relationships as divine, God might open a door. And he's saying, I don't want you to miss it. And then he says, and be thankful. Back to this idea of be watchful. Think about this, everybody. It's so important. Towards the end of last week, I got to go deer hunting. I've gone with a good friend the last several years. And, and this year, though, I had something happen that has never happened to me before. My first year out was actually very memorable. It was about six years ago. I was learning how to hunt, and I held the gun too close to my face, you know, the scope. And, and so when I shot, you know, I 
I got hit right here and blood every, it looked like I got shot. It was horrible, you know, and so that was year one. Well, this time my humiliation came in a different form and it was actually caught on, on camera by a good friend. And, and so, so there we were last Friday. I'm not sure why I'm telling you this to humiliate myself, but anyway, last Friday, there we were after a long hike into this, this valley where I was going to sit for about three hours. I'd been hunting for a day already. It was a cold, the day before it was cold and I was just tired, didn't sleep well. And so I'm sitting there, and, 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 and the sun was just baking. I was on the side of this hill, but I was looking over this beautiful big valley. But I, you guys, I was falling asleep. And I don't know if you've ever been hunting, but you're not successful if you sleep through the hunt. It just doesn't work. You have to be alert. You have to be alert. And so I'm, I'm starting to doze, and, and I said to myself, I'm just going to, if I can just get five minutes. Well, that five minutes turned into probably 45 minutes. And what I didn't know, and none of this would have happened had I known, but my friend Michael, who I was hunting with, we divided up, and, but what I didn't know is we ended up closer than I thought we were. And so I'm looking down at this big, vast valley, and I was, that was my post for these three hours, and, and, and then he was, though, closer than I thought. He wasn't just, um, you know, three or four valleys away. He was just on the ridge just across from the valley, and, and he was looking to the west and glassing that area, but then he came to my way, and he noticed, and he knows there, and then he came across me, and he noticed. We actually have a picture of it. Here, here I am. I'm so grateful he took this picture. That's me sleeping. And my black backpack there, that's my head, and I, it's a great pillow, and I was out, and, and, then, and then it really got worse, because then he got out his, his video camera, and I'm not going to show you any of that, but, but then he, he just, he started, he panned to me, and he said, he goes, there's Jeff, sleeping, working hard, and then, and then, he, then he panned to these deer, and he goes, and look, there's deer coming his way, and he's like, wake up, buddy. Well, anyway, finally, after, the, you know, 45 minutes, I had this little siesta, I, I woke up, and the deer actually scared me, like, I was like, wow, you know, and there they are, and, and then a nice buck came by, and, and I got it, and, and I was actually pretty thankful, I got a great nap, too, you know, as I think it's the way to hunt, right? Now, everybody, listen to this, the Apostle Paul is saying, be alert, it literally means in the text, do not fall asleep, it means this, when you go through your life, do not be unaware that God might be opening up doors around you. Everybody, see your relationships as divine. They are. People matter to God. And since they so matter to God, he puts people in your life and in my life, and he doesn't do it for just any old reason. He does it because he longs for them to know Christ. He longs for people to know himself. And so the Apostle Paul says, be watchful. Don't fall asleep. Be alert. Have you ever seen this? Maybe you've seen this on TV or experienced this in person, but have you ever seen a coach get really, really, really fired up because they saw something happen on the court or the field or the wrestling mat or whatever, and, and they saw an opportunity that their player missed, but a great opportunity. Catch the ball, make the move, whatever. But the player missed it, and it caused that coach to just, just go crazy. I wonder often if the heart of God is ever pained by the opportunities that we miss, that he gives us every day. But also think about this, everybody. Think about the joy. Think about the joy that it must bring the heart of God when we're devoted to prayer, when we're watchful, and then when we make the most of every opportunity. I mean, think of the joy that that must bring to the heart of God. Let's keep going. Look at verse 3. 
Paul says this. He turns the corner a bit. He says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. Now notice the language here. This is important. Paul is anticipating God, would you open a door? This is significant. He's saying, I am expecting some divine encounters. And so, God, would you open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ? That simply means the gospel. So that we might proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And he was not bothered by that. Verse 4. He says, pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. If you're a Christian here today, ask yourself this question. Can you clearly articulate the hope that you have in Jesus Christ? Can you clearly share your God's story with someone else? Can you do that? Verse 5, he says, be wise. Don't squander these opportunities. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Outsiders simply means this, somebody that's outside the faith. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. I met a, a gal named Joy Marshall a couple years ago in our church, and um, I wanted to share her story with you this morning because she makes the most of so many of the opportunities that God gives her. After getting to know her a little bit, one, she's a special lady in our church, but what I noticed is a couple things about her. Number one, she sees people as God's most prized possession. I also noticed this. The more I got to know Joy, the more I could tell She's prayerful, like she's diligently praying, God, would you open up doors? So she's, she's praying, but then she's also watchful. And when I heard her story, we wanted to share it with you this morning. So take a look actually at the screens. I think you'll find her story to be inspiring. So yeah, take a look. I'm an event planner by trade and do the driving, drive for Uber and Lyft. Since I've been driving for Uber and Lyft, I have become much more patient with drivers. Why? I don't know. I can just say that God's with me because otherwise I'd probably have to strangle somebody. <laughs> One of my favorite stories is a gentleman got into my vehicle, flew in there and said, I just got fired. As we were talking, um, he said to me, I'm an alcoholic. And then he told me how he's not good for anything. A song came on the radio called Fear is a Liar. I said to the gentleman, let's just listen to this song. I want you to hear this song. In the middle of the song, he starts saying, God, please help me. You, knew, you know what I need, Lord. Help me. Give, me. give me what I need. He left, and I thought, you know, I'll never see this guy again. But I see him a week later. He gets in my vehicle, and the first words he says is, I've got a job. How much more could you ask for? But to be able to get an answer from the prayer that we had the week before. The day that the sermon was with the Battle Ready cards, uh, my, my daughter and her friend weren't able to, and her, their families weren't able to come to church that day. And so I grabbed two extra battle ready cards. When I got to my car, I thought, you know what? I don't want to give them to them later yet. I want to get them now to them. So I took a picture of it as I'm sitting in the parking lot and sent them a, a picture of it via text. And so I stuffed the, the battle ready cards in the side pocket of my vehicle. God had a different plan for those ready cards, battle ready cards, because 
just a few days after that sermon and having those battle ready cards in my vehicle, I picked up another woman. We had a great conversation and it allowed me to say, I have the perfect thing for you. So I was able to hand off that battle ready card to her. It's amazing how the door gets open when you least expect it. I don't know how many I've handed out at this point, but there's been a ton. I don't know why. Yes, I'm vulnerable. They're vulnerable. Because it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation with a stranger. I don't know. They don't know me. But by the time I get out of that car with them, I feel like I've known them for a long time. It's amazing how the door gets open when you least expect it. Joy's been driving for Lyft and for Uber for about uh, two and a half years, and in that time, she's given rides to almost 7,300 people. But this is what really challenged me. When she thinks about that 7,300, she said about 25% of those rides have led to some sort of a spiritual conversation. And it so challenged me this weekend. I thought, what if 25% of my conversations with random strangers pointed them to a God that loves them? I mean, think about that, everybody. What a challenge. The Apostle Paul in this passage, everybody, he's, he's longing for the church to look at our relationships and one, see people as God sees them, two, that we'd be courageously devoted to prayer, number three, that we would be very, very watchful, but then fourthly, lastly, that we would look at our opportunities and we would say, Lord, I want to make the most of these opportunities, every single one of them. Lord, help me not to squander any of them. Look with me at verse six, last verse. He says this, gets more specific. He says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Notice that it says, let your conversation. It does not say, let your PowerPoint presentation. You know what I'm talking about? Christians, we can do this, right? We can, we can just make this so complicated. And Paul's saying, no, 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 let your conversation, when somebody walks away from your conversation, when he says seasoned with salt, what he means is this, it should be tasteful, it should be enjoyable, they should know, wow, I was cared for, wow, I, wow, I was loved, wow, that wasn't awkward, no, that person genuinely cares for me, that was a winsome conversation. I think the question flowing out of this text is simply this, how do we do this, what does it look like? Tim Keller has a, a, a tool that I've learned from, and it's really spurred some steps that I want us to walk through this morning. And as we think about the relationships in our lives, I, I just want you to, to ask yourself, is there one of these that could apply to me in one of the relationships that I have in my own life? The first one is this. Let people you interact with know that you're a Christian. Uh, let them know that you're a person of faith. A friend of mine who, he thinks about it this way. I think this is so helpful. He says, if I have a problem with my roof, I know who I'm calling. If I need a mechanic, I have a person's name in mind. If I'm taking my kids to the doctor, it's not a mystery. We're going to so-and-so. We always do. He said, this is who I long to be for people in my life. I long to be the kind of person that when somebody bumps up against life, which every one of us does, they're going to go, ooh, who's that person of faith? Who's that person that knows God deeply? I need to call him. I need to call her. 
Uh, here's the next one. Uh, be quick to offer prayer. Very rarely will someone, if you say, hey, could I pray for you? Very rarely will someone say, no, please don't. <laughs> they just don't. People take us up on that, right? The next one, uh, be open with your, with your own struggles. But connect those struggles to, hey, this is how though God uses that in my life. This is how my faith has been a part of making a difference and it's gotten me through this trial in my life. The next one, share your God story. Uh, every single one of you, if you're a Christian here today, you have a miraculous story about how God rescued you. Every one of us have that story, have those stories. Uh, be willing to share those stories. Uh, next one, invite someone to church. Rarely will someone give you pushback on a simple, friendly invitation to come to church with you. People want to be included in things like that, particularly this time of year. Uh, next one, offer to read the Bible with a friend. Uh, maybe you do this. You simply say to a friend, hey, I know you're exploring the things of God. And so what if we read the book of Mark or maybe the book of Luke together? And we just, we read it together and then we just talked about it and I tried to Answer any questions you've gotten, any questions that you have that I can't answer, I'll find answers to because I don't know everything. Well, imagine what would happen through that. There are people that come to know Christ through those experiences. The next one, we have a, a class that we offer here, a gathering that we offer here called Explore. You could simply say to your friend, I know that you're exploring spiritual things. My church has this thing just for you, actually. It's called Explore. And I'll actually go to it with you, and it's just, you're just going to be able to explore who Jesus Christ is. And then lastly, here's one. Share the gospel. Everybody, let's tell people about the difference that Jesus Christ has made in our own lives. Share the gospel and share it clearly. Share it. You know, I heard this statement years ago, and it really has stuck with me. It says this, do for one what you wish you could do for many. You know what? You can't have relationships with everyone, everyone. You just can't. You can't develop that. You can't bless everyone. But what if you did for one what you wish you could do for many? Uh, that's why we ask the question around here. Uh, if you're newer to Brookside, we ask this a lot. We say, who's your one? And the reason why we ask that question is because we constantly, we want to be watchful. We want to go through our days and, and God, not because we must, but because God, you've been so good to me. So God, out of the overflow of your grace to me, God, who's my one? God, would I run into anybody this week that you would just long for me to say and have this in my mind, could I be the one that could be helpful to pointing that person to Christ? It might even be just through a smile. It might be just through a how are you today. It might be through, you know, a friend getting to that point where you say, hey, can I tell you about the God who's changed my life? We want to be those kinds of people. You know, Brookside, imagine if we prized people as, as God does, if we thought of them like he does as his most prized possession. Imagine that. Imagine, church, if we, we got on our knees more and we were so courageously prayerful and we said, God, we want to then be watchful. God, if you bring an opportunity to us, we don't want to miss it. God, we want to see it and take full advantage of it. Not for us, but Lord, for you. Out of the simple overflow of what you've done for us. You know, every time I study a passage like this or give a message like this, it makes me so thankful for Jake. Man, I wish he was still in my life. I would hug that dude every day because of the difference Christ has made in my life. And everybody, I'm convinced every single person in our community needs a Jake. Everyone. And we can be that. It's not that hard. But we have to be 
intentional with our relationships, not because we must, but because out of the overflow of God's goodness to us. And so let me pray for us now, and let's just say, God, and maybe even bring that person before God right now who maybe comes to your mind, and let's just pray even over them right now. Lord, thank you. Father, first, thank you that you've revealed yourself to us. Father, thank you that you've brought people around us that have pointed us to you. God, we thank you for that. Lord, we bring to you now our who's, who's our one, and, and we would just say, God, would you do a work in their heart and in their life, God? And Lord, we don't want to treat anybody like a project. It is not about that. It is about we want to help people know the God that deeply loves them. And so, God, would you move our hearts as followers of Christ? And then lastly, you might be here today, and, and maybe you're a lot like I was as a sophomore in college. And maybe today you would just simply say this, I'm hearing about Jesus Christ and I've heard about him, but now it is time that I put my faith in him, that I take a step of faith and that I just proclaim, I believe. I believe that Jesus died for me. He loved me that much. And so this morning, I just encourage you, would you take that step of faith? Would today be the defining moment for you when you choose Christ? Father, we love you. Father, thank you for your church. Father, thank you that you speak to us. We pray this now in Christ's name.